0: We try to rely on uh, clear communication, being accessible, um, our market knowledge and and our expertise from the time we've invested in this business and in this industry, and making sure that people understand how we can help them with their financial goals.
1: You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to the show. Hey Matt, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Well, you know we like to start with the typical questions here. Has your favorite ice cream changed?
0: Oh man. What I what did I say before? Was it cookies and cream or was it uh You said cookies chocolate? and cream. Was it uh Okay. I was gonna say I've got two. It's cookies and cream, the other one's uh uh the uh what is the the what's the cookie batch one? What is that one called? Like cookie dough? There you go, cookie dough, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that too. I, I don't, eat, I don't eat it as much.
1: <laughs> I gotta ask. You're joining us from Cincinnati, and I have found myself up in Cincinnati more in the past couple of years. When okay. I'm up that way, where is the best place I can get a bowl of ice cream?
0: Oh man, are you are you serious right now? Or are you joking?
1: No, I'm serious, and I think you've got an answer in mind based off the way you answered that, but.
0: Listen, Cincinnati is so I'm not a I'm not from Cincinnati, okay, and I I mean the city's fine, it's cool, but I'm from Cleveland. and There's a little bit of a love hate relationship with mm, Cleveland, yeah, and Cincinnati, yeah. but Grader's ice cream in Cincinnati is phenomenal. Grader's is well known establishments all over. Uh, I believe they are expanded beyond just Cincinnati, but if you go to Cincinnati anytime in the summertime, uh, really throughout the year, but particularly in the summertime, you're gonna see lines outside of Grader's, right? I mean, you you pretty much. If you can get inside, great, but typically you're going to open up the door. You're going to be right on the other side of the door because there's a line of people waiting to get their greatest ice cream. So that is absolutely the place you want to go to.
1: So I've only been there once, but you're right. It was phenomenal. Like our, our, my fiance got some sort of like cream cheese ice cream, which I know what you're thinking. Sounds <laughs> horrible. And I thought the same, but then I had it and I'm like, this is the best damn ice cream I've ever had
0: um yeah well tell yeah, our listeners is, uh i mean they, they've been here for a long time and it's 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 i mean i gotta take my i gotta tip my hat graders is phenomenal
1: good as long as you don't eat skyline then we'll call it even <laughs> i'm not touching
0: skyline
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay good uh well tell our listeners and remind our listeners what's the scoop what do you do today
0: Yeah, so I'm a multifamily investor, uh, primarily working with other investors, busy professionals to invest in commercial real estate. Uh, We invest in apartments, larger apartments, and we try to give them the the benefits of investing in real estate without the headaches of being a landlord. So uh, I am based in Cincinnati. We invest primarily in the Midwest as well as in the Southeast region. And uh, we like cash flowing properties with uh, some upside potential through uh, what we call value add perfect you um our listeners can go back and listen to
1: i think it was episode 16 that you were on before to get basically your whole story there but You had a marketing background, got into real estate, ultimately made the jump to real estate. But one of the things that I really look to you as a guidance for is this whole idea of markets. And so I think you've done a really good job of kind of detailing out the markets that are are hot today, hot tomorrow, and hot in the future. And I just want to start our conversation with what are you seeing these days? Like, What markets are you interested in? What markets have kind of been on your radar in the past that are no longer on your radar? Just talk us through from a market standpoint what you're seeing right now.
0: Yeah, great question. So our philosophy is, you know, we don't like to change the markets every year. I mean, when we're making these investments with larger apartments, typically we're looking at a three to seven year hold. So we're not trying to time and find the hottest market where, uh, you know, we're trying to get it perfectly right, because who knows what's going to happen five, seven years from now. And we kind of have to invest with that longer term viewpoint. So we like things that are, Steady, somewhat predictable based on the data that's available. Um, and we like to look at kind of tried and true metrics. So we're looking at population, population growth. We're looking at the industries and the jobs that are in a market. We're looking at the job growth in that market. And then we're looking at the ease of doing business and the ease of being a property owner in that market. So for us, particularly the Midwest, We don't see like why you know while the changes. So markets like Indianapolis, Columbus, Louisville, Cincinnati. um, These are markets that are seeing growth, uh, but it's slow, steady, and and um, sustainable growth. So that's what we like. You can see similar markets in the Southeast region, the Carolinas, Georgia, Texas, Florida as well. Um, I think one thing that has happened is there there are some markets where, and I'll start with the Midwest, right. So there are some markets where When everything is good, everything is good. So uh, I'll take markets like I'm from Cleveland. I love Cleveland. You will very rarely get me to say something bad about the city of Cleveland. I don't care what you think about it. But the population in the greater Cleveland area has not been positive in a while. Uh, Same with Detroit. Detroit is seeing a resurgence. The downtown area is thriving. But when you look at the overall area, the area from a metro standpoint is not improving. Doesn't mean that there aren't sub-markets that are seeing growth and you, you can invest to make money there. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying when you look at it from a metro standpoint and a macro, um, it overall still is not seeing growth. So we shy away from markets like that. It's not to say we would never invest there, but we are paying attention to the overall macroeconomics. So that's just one variable we're taking off the table. Now, when you move outside of the Midwest uh, and you go out west in particular, there are markets that are a bit more cyclical right where the economy is great and booming they're seeing great rapid growth rapid success right but when the economy is retracting well now you're seeing a big pullback, back and you know there the markets in arizona and nevada you know some of these big cities that are more susceptible so i would be more cautious in markets like that because you don't know what the market's going to look like in these markets five years from the time you make that investment and what we've seen historically if you look over the last twenty years is some of those markets recover slower than the rest of the country. So those are the things we pay attention to in markets. It's not really to say this city is better than that city. It's just understanding the dynamics of that market, um, the, the mentality of the investor, the mentality of the businesses that uh, invest their resources in those markets, but also um, government and maybe some of the policies and, and all those things working together to kind of spur growth.
1: When you were saying that about the West coast, my mind immediately goes to like a Las Vegas. When times are good, people are going out there, they're spending money, they're gambling, they're uh, buying expensive clothes, all that kind of stuff. Construction booms because people are buying second houses, vacation homes, Airbnbs, whatever it is. But then when times are bad, there's not a lot of tourism, employment drops, all those sorts of things. So it is that kind of boom and bust. Um, Do you own anything outside of the Midwest today?
0: Yeah, we have stuff in the southeast. We don't own anything west of Texas, but uh, we don't invest in anything west of Texas. We own in the southeast. We've got stuff in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, We've got stuff in the Carolinas. I think we have sold the other assets, but we have those two.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, where I was going with that is the Midwest has seemed to fair weather this storm pretty well from what I've seen from the outside. Um, We own one storage facility in Indy, right outside of Indianapolis. But beyond that, we don't have anything in the Midwest. Uh, We primarily play in the Southeast, but it seems like, you know, when rents were increasing 25% in the Southeast and out in the West coast, Midwest was still humming at its three to 5%. And now rents are down 16% in the West coast and about flat in the Southeast rents are still up three to 5% in the Midwest. So I'm just wondering, like, how have you seen your portfolio play out with higher interest rates and everything going on right now in the, in the apartment sector?
0: Yeah, I think your observation is, is pretty spot on. I mean, I would say um, we saw a little bit more than 3 to 5% in the Midwest during that same boom. I mean, it was more like 8 to 10%, I think, in a lot of the markets. But your point is still half of what maybe you're seeing in some of these other markets. Um, but the thing with the Midwest that is really intriguing, and I think this is important for investors to understand, it's very affordable. And affordability is something that is gro- It's a growing issue In this country when we talk about affordable housing people throw out words like that and if you can cut through all of the the noise ultimately ultimately we have to get to a point where people can have the amount of money they need for housing whether you think that is government control or government assistance you know uh rent restrictions whatever it is you have high price markets where people cannot afford rent Um, there's something going on right now in new york where they're looking at lifting some of the rent restrictions that are in place there. Uh, in California, they basically took all the, the COVID time timeframe uh, restrictions and are making people pay back the rent they haven't paid in three years, right? So do you think anybody has been saving that money for the last three years? So when we get into affordability, the reality is many people need flexibility and the Midwest provides that. The other thing with the Midwest is people who live here usually don't leave. You know, if you're from here, you got family here, you got ties here, you're not bouncing around looking for the next great job opportunity. Um, even even me, like, I, you know, from Cleveland, I went to school in Dayton, I went to Chicago, Detroit, I lived all over, uh, all over the Midwest. Uh, I traveled a lot for work in California, New York, and Florida, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm all back in Cincinnati where my wife is from, right? It's just kind of the, the, the nature of things here. Um, and the reason that's important is unlike, again, las vegas or phoenix or some of these other markets a lot of people move there for jobs and careers or they were in tech and the tech company moved their headquarters to that market well if that changes or when that changes they no longer have ties to those markets so they're going to move to the next place maybe it's dallas texas maybe it's atlanta georgia maybe it's somewhere else you don't have that in the midwest people look for jobs in this market or in these regions because they have ties to this region so i think that 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 motivating factor is just different. So it's, it allows us to have more predictability on what's happening uh, in these markets. And, and to your point, I think that's why you see the, the, the highs aren't as high, but the lows aren't as low. And, and as a Funny. matter of fact, there's a data point I just mentioned, sorry, um, there's a point I just saw that out of the last quarter, eight of the top 10 markets for rental growth were all in the Midwest.
1: Yep, because everything else has probably turned sour. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I can think of two people off the top of my head that I know that are born and raised in Cleveland who have left and have no desire to go back. Everybody else is like, yeah, I'd I'd move back to Cleveland. And so, uh, I don't know what you guys put in the water up there, but everybody always wants to come back. It seems like.
0: Yeah. And, and and a lot of it is, you know, when you have your, your family ties and it's like, let me think about it, uh, depending on your life stage. Um, so I'll give you mine, right? I left home at 18, um, And I went back to I went back to Cleveland for one year um, after I graduated college and I haven't lived in Cleveland since. But once we started having our family and we had our boys, well, we wanted to be closer to grandparents. We wanted to be closer to our family. We lived in Chicago. We enjoyed it. Life was great. But that started to become a bigger factor for us. And that's ultimately why we wanted to move back to Ohio. Again, move where my wife was. But that was one of the driving factors. So I think the life stage is really important, too. When you're single and you don't have any responsibilities, of course you want to live in Chicago or New York or Austin or Miami or L.A. or, you know, wherever, right? Uh, that's great. But once you kind of settle down and have your kids and, you know, you're trying to look 10, 15, 20 years into the future, um, you know, being around family becomes a little bit more important.
1: Yep. Yep. You... um One of the reasons I wanted to have you back on the show is you are a guy that has spent a lot of time in marketing. You've done a really good job building out your personal brand and and know a lot about how to uh, build out a personal brand. And selfishly, this is something that I'm working on right now. So I'm just going to spend this next time and uh, use it for myself. But. Um, talk to us a little bit about in the apartment space and the syndication space, one, why is it important to have a, a personal brand and then two, give us some tips on how you've kind of built your
0: personal brand along the way. Well, I think we've got to start with understanding what a personal brand is. Um, people hear the word brand and it can sound um I don't know, just just real fluffy, right? Um, oh, I'm a brand, right? Like, what? So a, a brand is really just what people say about you or think about you when you're not in the room, right? All of us, we all have a personal brand. Whether we are doing anything to cultivate that brand or not, people think something about you, right? They're going to, if you they ask your name, hey, what do you think about Matt? Whatever they say, that's the brand. So if I say Nike, if I say Coors Light, if I say you know, Reebok, if I say Budweiser, whatever you think or felt when I said those names, that's what that brand is to you. Now, certainly those companies have done things. They've spent money on marketing and advertising and all sorts of other things to help, you know, uh, shape that brand message, right? And what what they want you to think when when you think of their name. But it ultimately comes down to your perception. If you think Coors Light tastes like water, which they would shoot me if they uh, heard me say that. But if that's what you think, then that's the brand to you. If you think it's a cold, refreshing beverage on a hot summer day, awesome, right? But it's up to you. So the reason you want to build a personal brand is simply because you want people to know what it is you're about, but also how you can help them with whatever it is they're doing. So let's move it outside of the marketing world. Let's say I was a dentist. If I'm a dentist, my business is going to be driven by customers, right? I need dental patients. In order to grow my business in order to do that i might refer i might rely on referrals i might rely on advertising or some different marketing things but i would want people to know hey these are the kind of clients or cases that john specializes in if you know someone who has that case refer them to john right no one would question that right that's the that's the business brand of it when you are an entrepreneur and you have a business so in this case that's what you're doing if you're getting into apartment syndication or raising capital or anything in this space or you're a real estate agent you want people to know who it is you help if you're a real estate agent okay sure you're an agent that doesn't mean you you take on every single client in the world you probably have neighborhoods you you focus on or don't focus on you're either a seller's agent or a buyer's agent. You probably have a price point of homes. You probably you know, have some level of specialization of who you help. So those things are the points that you want people to understand and get quickly so that they know who you can help. Because, because again, just because you're a real estate agent, like you don't want everyone sending you deals or leads or calling you and you realize, I can't really help most of these people. So the clearer you are on who it is that you help, how you help them, what makes you unique, how you stand out – the easiest going be for those people to know when to use you. For instance, let's go back to the Coors Light example. If if you know if I didn't know what Coors Light did or offered, I just knew it was a beverage in a can. Well, like wouldn't that be an issue if I if I'm taking it to church or something like that, right? And cracking it open and, like you would think. Why right, you drive of me if I'm cracking it open in church? Or for I got bottle service at the club, and I'm like, yeah, just bring me one can. Of course, Light. I want, I want the fireworks and the little pyro going. I had a girl, you know, shaking the can like this, and she like y'all would think I was crazy, right? Because it doesn't represent luxury at all. So that's my point, right? The the brand has to represent something, and, and it doesn't have to be over the top. So the bottom line is, if you're going to be in this business, you want people to know who it is you help, how you help them, and you also want to make sure that you convey. The best traits and best qualities um you know everything doesn't have to be the best but there should be things that you do better than others or that you can help people with and in our case when it comes to apartment syndication we try to rely on um, clear communication being accessible um our market knowledge and and our expertise from the time we've invested in this business and in this industry and making sure that people understand how we can help them with their financial goals so if someone is interested in investing or they want to learn more about apartment investing I hope to be one of the names they think of when they're ready to learn more about next steps.
1: How how do I go about defining that for myself, though? If I want to go out there and build a personal brand, how how would I define what I want to be or what people think of when they think about me?
0: Reverse engineer it. So first of all, when we think about building a personal brand, the first thing I would say is you already have a brand. You just may not know what it is. So let's go back to the start of the show, man. You you talked about me and my marketing background. You've talked about, you know, other things that I've done with my market knowledge, right? You you brought those things up. So yeah. I've built a brand that positions me as someone who understands evaluating markets and market dynamics, as someone who understands marketing holistically, as someone who understands marketing and personal branding. So for you, I would say, what do people already give you credit for, right? What do they know you for? When they think of Matt, what are they thinking to themselves? What's your character? What are your values like? What do they give you credit for? And then how do you lean into that so other people can see it? I think a really important way for people to think about this is when you have a brand or you're you're trying to cultivate or build a personal brand, what you're trying to do is amplify the things people already give you credit for. So if people know you as honorary trustworthy respectful um all these kind of things that's what you want to amplify but you have to find proof points uh i don't know why i keep using this course light example i'll use it one more time <laughs> you've um, some course light don't you i so of used to be one of my clients so i i got you know yeah i, I, got I will it. i tip my tap to them when i when i can i'll go to nike so you may not like nike's you know maybe corporate policies or some of those things but Nike has done an excellent job over the years of surrounding themselves with the top athletes in various sports. So when you think of Nike and performance, um, most people give them credit for that. So if that's something they've built their business off of, you know, they're going to continue to be the brand for the athletes, the the top athletes. They don't just sponsor any, anybody who's a professional athlete. They want to focus on the best of the best in those particular sports. So that's their brand other companies go in a different direction so i think for you it's the same thing it's what do people give you credit for how do you lean into that so that people recognize okay this is a person who's either again trustworthy uh, this is you know here are the three or four qu- traits that you exude and people you know understand that's what you stand for and that's what you represent because the other the reality is is that you got to be authentic you can't just decide you're going to be um, a trustworthy guy and you're doing all sorts of shady stuff, right? Like, you, you won't build a brand as being someone who's trustworthy. <laughs> so it's it's got to match. It's got to match up. So the, what I was going to say in the example is most people give Coors like credit for being cold and refreshing, right? They've said it a million times in every single ad. It was pretty much my credence. So it's a cold, refreshing beer. With that said, they probably don't give it as much credit for being a great tasting beer or having a lot of, you know, hops or flavor or whatever you want to call it. So there's a duality with that. But if you lean into one thing, there's there's the other side of that scale. And I think you have to be comfortable with that. So the reality is, is I would talk to people and ask them, hey, what are three or four qualities that you think I I exhibit? Um, And or what do you, you know? If someone asked you about me, what would you say? Like, how do you describe me to other people? And you start looking for those things. If you have business partners or clients, those are great people to talk to because your perception of yourself may not be their perception of you, right? Um, Again, if I'm in those Coors Light meetings, I know they would say, oh, we're a cold, refreshing beer. And somebody's like, oh, it tastes tastes like water. But it's easy to drink on a hot day, right? So it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's not what we thought we were (laughs) doing. But you have to get that honest feedback so you can understand the way people really feel you, and then you can address what you can address. I mean, you're not gonna change everybody's opinion, but at least you have a more accurate sense of, you know, what people are are feeling about you. I like the idea of leaning into amplifying what you're already good at and what you're
1: already <laughs> known for. Like, don't try to recreate something if it doesn't need to be recreated, just amplify what you're already good at to begin with.
0: Yeah, we, and you may need to stop something, you know? I mean, there may be something that you're not aware that you're doing that is is giving, a certain perception that may not be accurate, or may not be the person you want to be in the future. So in that case, you may have to make some adjustments to to fix or correct or improve. But again, getting that feedback is really critical.
1: Before I get into my next topic, uh, we were talking a little bit basketball beforehand. Have you uh, have you seen the new movie air on Netflix?
0: Or is it on Amazon? Yeah, we Yeah, me and my wife watched it a couple about a month and a half back. Yeah
1: scale of 1 to 10 no 7s given what would you give it
0: so i would probably give it an 8 um i thought it was very odd that they didn't even try to show um jordan at all i mean and i and i get why but it just felt like the whole time i kept paying attention to it which is why it was annoying i would rather either completely cut him out so i'm not you know i don't see it but they went out of their way not to show yep the guy playing Michael Jordan. And it was it was just, it it took my attention away from the story.
1: You've heard Ben Affleck talk about why though, right?
0: No, I have not.
1: So going back to brand, he goes, Michael Jordan is one of the most well-known, well-respected basketball players of all time. People know him, they see him. So if I tried to show anyone in this movie that is not Michael Jordan in that role, you're immediately going to say, that's not Michael Jordan. You're going to lower your... Vision of authenticity of the story down because I've faked you. I'm trying to fake you by showing a fake Michael Jordan. And I'm like, that's a really good thought. I never even thought about that.
0: Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't. You're not buying I mean, it. <laughs> I I don't buy it because that's part of when you're telling a story, you've got to get people vested in the story. Like we all watch biopics and documentaries all the time, right? I didn't watch. Ali and say that's not that's yeah. not Muhammad Ali. I didn't watch, you know, Ray and say, "Well, that's not Ray Charles." So, I think part of it is you've got to quickly establish yes, it's a movie, it's not the person. But then once you're once you're into the story, we give ourselves all the leeway to just rock and roll with the story. But if you make me keep reminding myself that, "Oh, they're not showing this guy's face," to me it distracts from the story. I mean, there's there's a show um uh what is it called the whatever the, the Lakers show I forget what it's called but it's um there's that show where they've got the guy playing Magic Johnson they got the guy playing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar right and obviously those aren't those guys but you like after a little bit you just buy into it like okay that's yeah. the story you're you're following a story so I think for me I enjoyed it but that distracted me and it kept it made me keep coming out of the story and the reality they were trying to create. Yeah, you said that about Ali. Maybe that's where Will Smith learned his uh,
1: slapping skills. <laughs> too soon? <laughs> too soon? Not
0: too soon at this point. I mean, I, I think it's been
1: enough time. Uh, by the way, Chris Rock's uh, come back on that. I don't know if you ever saw his special on that where he gets like yeah. into a full 10-minute monologue. It's, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, well, we're way off topic here, so bringing us back. Way so off. You, way off. You are – A man who's uh, talked a lot about uh, branding and and really invested in this space. And I know that both of us talk to a lot of folks that want to get involved in this space. And one of the things I think we both highly agree on is it's a team sport. There is no way you can go take down a $100 million transaction by yourself without somebody else being involved in it and offering some sales cuts. But there's this also other side of the business where it seems a little scammy, a little shady, like, Hey, I'm a guru, pay me $50,000. And I'm going to bring you to a seminar where I'll send you to the back of the room to upsell you into the next program. Um, so we were having some good dialogue around coaching before this and the role of a coach in somebody that wants to get involved in this role, as well as the role of a coach for somebody just in general in life. So I'm hoping you can uh, talk us through kind of your positioning on coaching because I know you just launched a coaching program but talk us through like maybe start us with what role has a coach played in your journey and then maybe talk a little bit about your coaching program and, and what you're trying to do over there. Hey, fellow investors. Before we dive into our next segment of the show, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about a fantastic opportunity for you to invest with me. As you know, here at Ice Cream with Investors, I'm passionate about real estate investing and helping you navigate the exciting world of wealth creation through real estate. And that's why, for the first time... I'm thrilled to tell you about an opportunity for you to invest alongside of me. Over the past three years, I've been investing in multifamily, mobile home parks, car washes. I've even become the bank and lent out money to fellow real estate investors on a short-term basis. And now you can come join me. If you would like to jump on a call and learn more about this opportunity, head to icecreamwithinvestors.com slash invest and find a time for us to connect. And now back to the show.
0: Well, I think we got to start holistically, right? So I think most people recognize that coaching is an effective way to grow and develop and, and ultimately get to your, your end game and your end results you're looking for. So for me, it's interesting. It's an interesting journey because when I first got into real estate, I was attending these REI events. I was reading books and networking my butt off, trying to learn everything I could about the, the industry and the business. And I remember... um trying to go to as many events as I could and some of those events were you know, those free hotel events, right? Where, hey, this Saturday from, you know, nine to eleven, we're gonna have, you know, the guys from I won't say the the T V shows, right? But those T V shows talk about how to get started in real estate. And I'm like, Oh, this sounds great and it's free. Oh, we gotta go. Right. So me and my wife we, we pack it up, we get a sitter for the babies and uh, we, we go to this event. And at that event, hey, well Next, you know, in, in two months we're gonna have a three day weekend for $197. I'm like, oh okay, $197 is not that big of an investment, we can do that. So we pay the three day weekend, right? And there, uh, they try to hit you with the big one, right? Thirty thousand to forty thousand, whatever it is. And I remember really thinking about it, you know, and I know some people may dismiss it and laugh, whatever, but we, we sat and we really thought about it because what they were selling was a solution to some system problems that I felt we were we were missing. And I, I thought it made sense. And obviously, if you're going to invest that kind of money, you damn well better be committed to the results and putting in the effort. So we, saw, we thought about it on day one. Day two, it became really clear that it was a hard pitch. You know, I mean, it went, day one was inspirational and kind of a soft pitch, soft to medium pitch. And day two, it, it kind of... Turned, you know, and they started talking about calling your credit card companies and getting an increase. And all. I was like, wait a minute, that feels like uh, inappropriate, you know, advice to ask someone who doesn't have the money to go call their credit card company and get an increase in their line so they can swipe it for this program. Um, how do you have money to buy real estate? So, in short, we didn't go to day three. We actually, we, we already had the, the sitter book. So uh, she and I went to the library and we just we got books. We, Sat, we talked a lot about our strategy, what we needed, what we had. And about um, a month later, I met the person who ended up becoming my mentor. And there's this, this saying that, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And for me, I think having to go through the process of contemplating writing a huge check for this program was important for me to recognize that, okay, I'm willing to invest in this future But this may not be the right path. So when I met the guy who became my coach, um, it was way more affordable for starters. But I also got clarity over that that time frame between that third day of that workshop that I skipped and the time I met him with what I actually needed help with. And for me, um, I felt like I could underwrite deals at a basic level. So not huge deals, but I understood I'd find a five unit, right? Um, I felt pretty comfortable with what I could do. But I had never raised money. I didn't know how to structure deals. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I wasn't comfortable working with an investor, even approaching an investor, and just being blindsided with something. So I I could take that risk with my own capital, right? Because, I I mean, I'm signing up for it. But I didn't want to sign up for someone else, especially people that I, I know like and trust and care about, to invest with me and let them down. So for me, hiring a mentor was all about getting somebody in my corner who could help me. Figure out where the blind spots were so as i progressed and you know kind of grew our business um we obviously got very knowledgeable did some deals did a lot of deals um and we talked to a lot of people who were looking to to do the same kind of thing and we didn't offer anything for them i'd give you whatever advice i could give you but we didn't have a program or anything like that uh, we initially launched our first coaching program after a night i was i was coaching this guy um, i just wasn't getting paid for it but i was coaching people And my wife overheard me Um, she actually was waiting for me and she was a little pissed off to be honest with you she um, I had kind of missed out on dinner early because I had this call and I talked to this guy for like an hour and I'm coaching about this deal how to structure how to write the LOI all this stuff and I missed my kids going to bed you know talking to this this guy and she said is this guy paying you and I'm like no I'm just trying to help like people help me I'm trying to help this guy and she said well listen I know you're trying to help people and it's a nice thing to do, but no one's going to respect your time if you don't respect your time. And you missed out on the rest of dinner. You missed out on your time with your family for someone who at most is just going to say thank you and they don't even respect their time. And it really made me step back and think about how I respected my time and value and the reality is we we talk about mindset being so important to, to grow as a real estate investor. And I think at that time, I don't know if I really believed that people could or should pay me for my time and my knowledge. I didn't feel like I had accomplished enough to charge someone to talk to me, right? And that conversation really just made me just, you know, sit and stew in it for a minute and it was less about the, the money and all of that. It was just more about we do all of this for a future, right? To be a more present father, to have time, flexibility, and all these things. And even though this wasn't my day job, I felt almost an obligation to help these people, right? No, this guy needs my help. He needs my help. I got I to gotta miss out on dinner to go talk to this guy. That's how I approached it, you know? And um, in a very, you know, I think innocent, caring kind of way. But the reality is I wasn't respecting my time. And I think that day I, I slowly started to shift and say, you know what, well, let's see. Why don't I put together a program? If if people want to pay for it, great. If not, okay, that's fine. But at least this way, there's a mutual respect and mutual benefit. And we, we ended up getting some clients. I'm like, okay, well, now i got to <laughs> invest in this and make sure I'm delivering for them. So that launched our, our one-on-one coaching program. And that program is really geared towards that individual. So it is um, um, a program where we help people with – you know, investing in real estate, particularly apartment investing, as well as raising capital for deals. Uh, But then beyond that, we also launched a mastermind. And that's what I think you're referring to recently as our mastermind, where that's, um, you know, that's, you know, less than 100 bucks a month. And it's meant to be affordable. So people can figure out if this is one, what they want to do for real, but then to get around people who can help them get to the next level. I think too often, the decision is, free resources like books podcasts like this um going to a meetup which is all great all great resources but that's one option and then the next option is paying five figures for coaching and for a lot of people you you kind of need to continue progressing with your level of commitment and your comfort level of that commitment so that you can get really clear on what you're actually investing in and what you need help with like when i was able to hire my coach if I didn't go to those three-day courses or that three-day workshop thing, I'm not sure I would have been ready to pay someone to coach me, because I just knew I didn't know certain stuff and I didn't know what it was. But that that Sunday, that third day, I sat down and I wrote, "Okay, hey, Bigger Pockets is a resource I can use. Bigger Pockets, there's books that I can, there's podcasts. So I wrote those resources down. I started consuming more of that content and preparing myself. But the one thing that I kept realizing was a shortcoming was I had never raised money. And I didn't know, again, the legality of certain things. I didn't know, you know, I had never done it. And I just wanted someone in my corner that I can look at and say, hey, am I doing this right? Hey, do you see anything that I missed in this deal? And that became really important to me. So I would say, you should get coaching. You should be looking to pay for some sort of mentorship or mastermind when you are clear on what's holding you back from that next step. You know, by all means, consume all the free stuff you can. But there will be a point where that that's no longer sufficient for you to get to the next level. And, you know, if if you're if you're able to go and jump into a twenty, thirty, forty, 50 thousand dollar coaching program and that's what you want to do next, by all means, do that. And that's great. But if you're still trying to get clarity or you're still trying to take that next logical step, um, whether it's my mastermind or another mastermind, consider kind of that bridge step so that you can continue that progression but also continue to learn from other folks who are a little bit ahead of where you're at in the game
1: yeah a couple things i'd say on that is one surrounding yourselves with people that are one step ahead of you is the best way to succeed in life in my opinion Um, second is i still have a coach you probably still have a coach michael jordan and tiger woods at the top of their game still had coaches so everybody needs some sort of coaching in their in life because to your point, it's it's about what's that next step and who can get me to the next step. Not, hey, I've already won six rings and won 18 tour championships or whatever Tiger Woods was at. It's about, okay, I want to get this particular part of my game or next step um, done. And then the last thing, man, I was shaking my head when you were saying uh, earlier about when we pay something for free we devalue it and when we spend money on something we're invested and i just thought about an experience i had this week where i paid 500 dollars for a coach or uh, for a program around like how to hire a va and manage and all that kind of stuff dude i finished that course in two hours and they said it was going to take two ways it took me two hours to finish it took a bunch of notes i still have it in my notion over here and all that kind of stuff And I'm laughing because I got a free course the other day that is still sitting in my inbox and is a tab open on one of my other screens. And probably that one is way more valuable to what I'm trying to accomplish in my life right now than the $500 one. But I knew, hey, if I'm gonna spend this money, I'm gonna get my money's worth at least out of it. So a lot of good points that you you brought up there. John, I I wanna be- Yeah, I think
0: think that's it, man. It's, it's... no, I was gonna say to your point, man, just- that investment is so critical because there's, there's a difference between being interested and being committed. And I'm not saying a huge amount where like you're betting the farm on it, but I do think it's really important to demonstrate that level of commitment because it's also a reminder for you mentally. Cause there, there are always times you're not going to want to do something right. I'm sure there's other things you could have done or would have rather have done than spend the two hours going through that course, especially if it was over the weekend, but you did it because you were committed to it. So I think the more you can buy in yourself, the easier it's going to be for you to get the results you're looking for. And by the way, uh, it
1: got me to my next step, too. Like, I, I knew that this was the next step I needed was hiring a VA in my life to take on some of the burden that I have and uh, paying $500. I don't know whether it was worth it or not, but it definitely got me to my next step. Excellent. Um, John, I know we're a little over time here, so I want to be cognizant of your time and switch us to our last round. We are rebranding these, The Four Toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift?
0: Oh, man. So, um, I mean, Atomic Habits is my go-to here. Atomic Habits with James Clear is just a phenomenal book. Um, There's one I'm reading right now, which is uh, 10X is Easier Than 2X. And uh things by Darren Hardy. And that one is um a, a really great read. I'm about a quarter of the way through that right now. But that one is 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 definitely worth checking out. And the, the general premise is if you're trying to grow whatever it is you're doing, if you're just trying to double that, you're probably looking at just doing more of what you're already doing or trying to find a way to simplify that. But if you're trying to 10x or if you make a 10x goal to something, you have to stop and deconstruct what you're doing. And you're going to have to eliminate some stuff, and particularly 80% of what you're doing. And it could be 80% of your clients, 80% of your you know calls, whatever it is. You're probably going to have to take the 20% of your business, of what's working best, eliminate the 80% that's not that. You're going to take a step back. It might take a year or two or three to get back to where you are today. But that is the only way to really 10x something is to eliminate a large chunk of what you're doing today. And it might be walking away from a whole consumer segment. Uh, It might be, you know, a huge shift. But it's a really intriguing book to help you think about what it really takes to 10x your business. I like it. I'm going to have to check that out because it's on my mind right now.
1: Our second one is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: Oh, man. Um I've, I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of great advice in my life. Um, when I was in high school, I wrestled, and, and uh, we had a saying, so I, I hope this counts, but there was a saying on the back wall. And um, the saying was very simple. It was just, you know, tough times don't last, tough people do. And the notion was you're going to be in tough situations. It's not about the actual situation. It's about you developing yourself to be a person who's resilient. So that's always helped me navigate you know, challenging times or that self-doubt and things like that. So, um, I I would, I would give that the, uh, the best quote. Yeah. That's very, very impactful for right now in
1: the real estate industry. I would say our third one is what is the best, uh, I'm sorry. Our Our third one is what are you most proud of in your life?
0: Um, I think we all measure success differently. Um, one of the things that, if you were to talk to me maybe 15, 20 years ago, if you were to have me sit down and ask me what does success look like for me 15, 20 years from, from then, um, I would have probably said to be a a great present dad. Um, I think that's really high on my list is being a present father. Um, one who has the ability to attend his kids events and, you know, just be heavily involved in their life. And, um, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of. Like I, I coach my son's, football team I'm very you know my other son has he, he's a he's a soccer player and I'm like mm, you don't want me to coach a soccer kid okay. but I'll be at all your events I'll be at practice I'll be at the games <laughs> I'll, I'll go outside and work with you I'll be a, your dummy and your defender you can work around me but um but I ain't coaching you uh so I, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing is just and it's seeing you know kind of the joy and the time we get to spend together as a family um I think that's the thing I'm most proud of
1: I'm smiling because Shep is really big into soccer, and I'm just like, "Run faster!" Because I never, pl- I've never played <laughs> soccer growing up. Oh
0: yeah, that that's like ninety percent of us on the sidelines. Kick it, kick yeah. it, pass it. You know, just yell at random stuff, and I'm like, don't "What's all that. sides? What is like? What is offsides?" And I'm
1: asking, no one knows. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, our fourth one and last one is: If you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, and why?
0: Man, so. um if 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 you're asking like right now who I'd sit down with dead or alive it would definitely be my grandmother um my grandmother passed away uh 22 years ago and uh she um i mean she deserves a lot of the credit for who i am and all the things you like about me you could probably attribute to not all but most of them you could attribute to her um just a a wonderful person um always extremely positive she made me feel special in a way that um, you know, only a grandmother could do, you know, and, and just for context, my mom is one of eight children. So uh, my dad is, my dad's adopted. So my dad's the only one. And I'm talking about my dad's grandmother or my dad's mother. So I was the only grandchild for seven years until my, my brother was born uh, on that side. On my mom's side, though, I was just another kid. And there's, there's nothing wrong, but there was like 15 of us over there so I was just another kid so I, I would live in this duality where I was just <clears throat> AU just, they, they couldn't figure out my name I was AU and I was asthmatic I had a bunch of health issues as a kid you know so I had a bunch of allergies so I was I was a hard child to just have if, it, if I weren't your kid right on that side but on my grandmother's side I mean she, she knew like all my favorite things to eat today are things she made you know she 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 she, she catered to me in a way that allowed me to grow my confidence as a sickly child I thought were um, I just you know and I just sit and think about it like a lot of the confidence a lot of those things it, it comes from her nurturing and um, I would love to sit with her just to talk about life and we did when I was in college man we was sitting I talked to her longer than I talked to anybody else we'd have hour long two hour long conversations about girls I was dating life you know she gave me the best, adv- well, you asked about best advice earlier. another thing she told me was don't get married until you're 30 years old uh, my dad, my parents got married when they were very young. Didn't work out. And she, I mean, you know, most grandmothers don't really get into this. She was telling me exactly this is why, this is what happened. Here's what you need to do with your life. But she was very, again, loving and endearing, like, just the way she did it. And, like, if she said something, I took it as gospel. I challenged pretty much anything anyone else told me. But if she told me something, it was word, and I and I just stuck with it. So um, I would love to have a bowl of ice cream with her, man. Did she also like Coors Light too? <laughs> My grandmother, I never have a, I never saw her sip anything. She's a she's like your typical sweet old black grandma, man. She, you know, church every week, right? So, nah, man, no, no, damn. But dinner was every day at four thirty, 430, not four thirty three, not four twenty seven. If it was early, she just put it on simmer. Like four thirty was dinner, you know. Like she was, it was old school, man. It was that um But no, there was no course like. <laughs> wow. She sounds like a very special woman,
1: and I know she's looking down.
0: where you love
1: Where you've become, what you've become.: yeah. Well, John, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about your multifamily syndications, your coaching programs, everything you got going on, where's the best place we can point them?
0: Go to the website. You know, we've got information on the mastermind there if you want to check that out, if it's a fit, if you want to get on our investor list or uh, get a sample deal package from us, if you want to be active or passive, I advise you to check that out. You can steal the information. I mean, it's, it's there. It's free. So if you want to steal kind of uh, some of the information we share, by all means, it's your prerogative. That's what we put up there. Uh, but just go to casmancapital.com. we got a bunch of resources available there. Awesome. John, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Matt, thanks for having me again.
1: Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.